0: This is the Fatherhood Unlocked podcast, and my name is Dan Doty. I'm a father of three, an outdoorsman, and a meditator, and supporting dads to be the best version of themselves is my highest calling. Fatherhood is the biggest rite of passage in a man's life. It's our biggest opportunity to grow up, to wake up, and to learn who we actually are. I believe that a father's love is the biggest missing vitamin on the planet. This podcast is intended to be a lightning rod to call men to action, to create community, and to set a new tone and standard for what fatherhood means. Welcome to Fatherhood Unlocked. Hello, everybody. Welcome. It's been a long time since we released a podcast. And I could give some explanations or excuses for why that's been the case, but I'm not going to. I'm just going to skip it. We're going to get right into it. I'm glad to be back. I'm glad to be sharing this episode today. Our guest is Bayo Akomalafa, who is a writer, speaker, uh, known to many as a bit of a trickster and a really incredible human that I really respect immensely. I'm so grateful to have had this conversation around fatherhood with him. You might know him as the author of These Wilds Beyond Our Fences, Letters to My Daughter on Humanity's Search for Home. If you have not come into contact with him and his work yet, I'm um, what a what an honor to introduce you to Bio. In preparing for this conversation, I spent a bunch of time reading his work and listening to some of his other podcast interviews and you know, he's just an incredible poet and artist with words, and what I was really drawn to here was to learn more about, experience the man himself, the dad himself, uh, learn what life is actually like as a father for him, a little bit more on the mundane level, and uh, you know, I walked away from this conversation just feeling really, uh, just really warm and, and uh, lucky, lucky to be able to be in this position to have these conversations. So I hope you enjoy it. I hope something comes of it for you. And I'll take just a minute to tell you what has transpired and what's going on here at Fatherhood Unlocked. We've been doing a lot this last chunk of months. Uh, We have launched our online dad's group called Father's Fire. We meet every Thursday night. And uh, we kind of oscillate back and forth. Uh, One week, we do a deep dive, sort of self-inquiry, maybe more of a healing orientation. And then on the the other weeks, the opposite weeks, we dig into goal setting, action, and accountability. feels like a really good, appropriate rhythm for this chapter of life. I'm bringing in, you know, my best practices, best practices I've learned around men's groups and men's work. But there's something different that I, I think is emerging here. That's not just a traditional men's group. There's something anchored to the the importance of the role of being a dad. There's something almost emergent or uh, an element of discovery to this. I feel more and more every day um, just blown away by the impact that fathers have on our kids, on the world, on our communities, and also just how sort of left behind and unsupported dads are. I was having a conversation with a... A dear mentor of mine um, who's in her 80s and is a a dharma practitioner of a very 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 long time i find her to be very wise (laughs) i find her to be uh very loving and very wise and what she said was kind of in reference to to this program and what we're doing is how how apparent it is how much trauma is brought through into this world onto our kids through fathers Right? And that's not necessarily just the stereotypical, you know, abusive dad or angry dad or whatever. I think there's, there's a lot of ways that it looks. And I was just really um, touched by what she said. And I felt the depth and the resonance. Um, I feel very resonant with that. And so this isn't some play to sort of save the world from dads. That would be one way to name it. That's not how I feel it. What it is, is a, an opportunity for dads to sort of reclaim a sense of humanity and a, a sense of love, a sense of responsibility and presence, and to bring in some very old school words about it, to, to sort of reclaim a, a seat of honor in our families and our culture. And I'm really interested about the cultural part here you know, how fathers are seen, how fathers are portrayed um, is one thing, but how we actually show up is another. And, you know, to, to report out descriptively, I know that I only have a very small, <laughs> very small fraction of the world of dads that I get to engage with. But the ones who I do get to engage with, man, they sure are worthy of honor. They sure are worthy of, of respect. sure are fucking trying hard. And a lot is changing in the world of fatherhood. A lot is changing in in what what is asked of us. You know, in this last generation, from my dad to myself, the the role of fatherhood has changed extraordinarily. And I think a lot of us are scrambling to keep up with that, to actually be able to, to make good on these new responsibilities. And fundamentally, it's good news, right? I think what it offers us is a path, a very direct path back to our heart, a very direct path back to our humanity, to being a part of our culture, our family, our community, to be woven back into life. So on that note... Let's listen to Conversation with Bio. And uh, if you're interested in this group, Father's Fire, you can find it at DanDoty.com. And very shortly, we're going to switch over to fatherhoodunlock.com. Thank you for being here. All right, Bio. Uh we're here. I'm excited to to have this conversation with you. Let's start just by uh maybe both of us will state the the time and general location uh where yeah. we're sitting in the world. So yeah, 7 30 in the morning uh on the coast of Maine. We got eight inches of snow in the past few days. Excellent. Uh, so it's uh it's a very wintry wonderland here. <laughs> well, I can't
1: quite say the same for The, uh, we, we just lived through a cyclone here, here in Chennai, India, where I'm at, where I live with my family. Uh, the, the name is difficult to pronounce. I think it's Mechang or something like that, but it's, but it, um, I arrived into the country from one of my, from visiting, um, Africa and our our plane was the last plane to land. This is just yesterday. Morning by 1 a.m., mm-hmm. and the whole city was shut down, flooded, right? And it even had an ap- apocalyptic quality to it because we got news that a crocodile was swimming in the flood in the waters in some location. Oh, yes. <laughs> it's like a badly written Hollywood script. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, so, so the weather here is wet and foreboding and, and, mm-hmm. um overwhelming. Electricity was just restored, so I'm thankful for that, but I'm also thankful for the gift of survival. Mm.
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, very different landscape (laughs) today. Uh, You know, I'm excited for this conversation for a couple reasons. I mean, I've been following your work for for some time. Uh, I have uh, paid a special attention to the moments where, uh, you've spoken about being a father and the impact that's had on you and just, just your, the, the whole sense of making meaning around that and and maybe not making meaning around it. Right. I just, um, and I felt very just curious about your, I don't know, not your day-to-day life, but, but tell me about being a dad right now. Like what is, what's it, what's it look and feel like today?
1: Well, there's been, there's lots of contradictions. There's lots of, uh, ambitious gesturing towards, um, towards, um, fatherhood. I like to tell people that I'm becoming father, Hmm. right? Like I, I'm, I'm rendering it as a process instead of as a role that one can simply assume or a title that I've earned myself right? I, I like to tell people that I'm becoming father. And as plants gesture towards the sun, right? They, they never quite arrive at it, but their their entire biology is a gesturing towards sunlight. That in that way, I don't think I will arrive, that I I'm, I'm a becoming father. And that means playing with the burdens of inheritance, that is what i received from my own father what are what are, the, what are the cultural dispositions and how are they being countered or disrupted in today's world um, um i find myself referring to the times when i was a child which seem incommensurate to the mom- to these moments and the needs of my children in these times so there are contradictions and paradoxes and ironies but uh, it, it it seems for me that the the gist of it is to stay with the trouble. Mm. So becoming father is staying with the trouble of these multiple inheritances, mm. and the gesture of the future, or promise of <laughs> the future. Yes. Yeah. How how old are you? Do you have two children or one? Yes, I do. I have two children: a, a girl and a boy. Um, my girl is, um, 10 years old, Alethea,
0: and my boy is six years old, Kea. Okay. What, um, what did they have for breakfast this morning? <laughs> oh, that is a beautiful question.
1: I think, uh, Kea had, Kea had some porridge and rice, um, uh, marinated in samba, this, rich broth and soupy soupy mm-hmm. thing you know, mm-hmm. here in Chennai and um Alethea I think had a cereal cornflakes
0: yes <laughs> yeah. uh, as much as I mean and, and you know personal details are not necessary at all to share about our, our yeah. little ones right but I'm, I'm yeah. just curious how uh, just any flavor of how they meet the day. Like how, like, yeah, yeah. Like how yeah. are they doing? What are they, what's, yeah, what's, it yeah. like, what's it like to be your son? I'm curious. Yeah. What's it oh. like to be your son? Oh, oh you know,
1: that's, you know, why I appreciate the question of what did they have for breakfast is because there is a sense in which we have conversations about children and parenting that becomes infinitely abstract totally. and heavenly minded. And uh, no, but, but, Asking the starting out with what did they have for breakfast this morning immediately grounds things. And I woke woke up this morning. I mean, this morning was a bit difficult for all of us having no electricity through the night, yeah. and um, so we woke up quite late together because the night wasn't was slightly uncomfortable. Um, um, I I went to get the clothes down from the terrace. Yeah. Um with um, Kea. And my son is autistic. Mm. So um, he wanted us to play hide and seek. He doesn't quite get the concept in the ways that um, might be neurotypically understood. So um, he, we we played a version, an iteration of uh, hide and seek that worked for him. Mm-hmm. and Alitia woke up very late uh, Um, and she dances on spot. That's the way that I characterize my daughter. She, every gesture of her is a dance. She's constantly dancing. She cannot stop herself from dancing. Um, I think the world is music to her. And in many ways, the, the world is music to my son. Sometimes mm-hmm. I feel that he avoids me because I have materialize some anxiety about his well-being mm-hmm. um I'm, I'm meeting you in the spirit of this groundedness and i want to be mm-hmm. vulnerably honest as well that that i've many times in my trying to embrace him and own him as my son i have perpetuated some kind of gentrification mm-hmm. um trying to drag him into the neurotypical trying to uh, to Enforce cultural expectations, even though my politics and my public intellectual life is resolutely um uh against that, or at least it brackets it, but I found myself moved in ways where I've tried to um I've tried to drag him into the intelligibility, in the legibility of the neurotypical and as such he has nursed some mutual anxiety about that and it's something i regret but i still think we have time i, st- I, f- I feel we have some time and i'm looking forward to doing that with him yeah. doing what exactly staying with him staying with the trouble and the gift of his
0: showing up yeah mm. i i resonate so i have a seven-year-old son, a five-year-old son, and then a, a daughter who's almost two. That's where mine are right mm-hmm. now. And my oldest boy, Duke. Um, <clears throat> I guess the jury is out if if uh, it's formally atypical or or mm-hmm. or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, he has uh, he has some ways that um, are aggravated by anxiety as well. And I guess mm-hmm. I, I share a bit of. I guess it's guilt, um, mm-hmm. about, cause there are times where what my normal interactions or actions with what, what, what in my body feels like normal in the moment, uh, obviously invisibly contracts him in a, yeah. in a way that's, yeah. that's, uh, yeah. you know, it's not aggressive. It's, but, uh, yeah, it's I worry about, it yeah, I worry about that a little bit, Me not too. overly so but me too i i mean we could do we could do a whole hour on any one question right and and we could go very abstract and and i'm sure some of this will be that but um i like the i like kind of like the, me the too. real life part of this um me too brother me too me too man and so the question i'm gonna ask you it's it's almost too big of a question but i think i i think i'm just going to do it anyway but is there any elements of, or elements of how you were fathered that uh, you truly celebrate or that you just honor or that, that, that you're like carrying proudly along? Mm-hmm. It's kind of a bummer to interrupt this conversation, but I'm going to do it anyway. And I just want to throw a little flag out here to name the other main fatherhood program, which we have cooked up. It's called Fatherhood Ready. It is an initiatory training for expecting and new dad's. So this is a program that is uh, designed to sort of pull the curtains back on what the job of dad means today and start to build uh, perspective and skills toward being able to step into that powerfully. Super excited about it. We have a cohort uh, launching on February 20th. We've just cut the program down in length, and we've substantially dropped the price just to make this more accessible for people. Um, I had initially designed a very long, deep, you know, black belt level program, and um, it just doesn't feel like the right way to go. So it's a four-week program, uh, two hours a week, and we really just get after the the opening of the door to fatherhood. Check it out at dandoti.com.
1: I mostly remember my dad as an ideal, right? Like he was, he was kind of carved out of granite, <laughs> you know? There's just something that was man's man about him in a time, especially when I was, I needed those kind of secure foundations. And... um. I just looked up to him and loved him with all my heart. He was the one thing that I dreaded losing because he he showed up as a friend, but he was distant enough not to be a friend. know, I don't know if you know about um, African households and the persistent presence of the patriarch. It's just, it, something loving inviting but also um prestigiously distant about him Mm. so that in a sense i was constantly magnetized to him and he was uh as i say an ideal more as an more like an archetype of course he had many flaws i participated in some of them um he, he he loved his guinness extra stout um and sometimes he drank a little bit too much not to the point of harming or or you know injuring or anything or hurting anyone but it did cause a, some anxiety in the family sometimes but he was a notable um diplomat a celebrated um diplomat and mm-hmm. an extremely generous man mm-hmm. and quite important, at least in the figuring of notions of importance where I come from. Mm -hmm. Um, And and he was a traveler, so he was constantly away. But this awareness wasn't, didn't feel like absence. It Mm -hmm. felt like, it felt like, um, you know, not the stereotypical notion of absence, you know, that often shows up in conversations about black families in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, my father wasn't absent. He just took his time in being present. <laughs> he, you, know, <laughs> you know, he he was just uh, he, he he just stepped he stepped in. He was and he had to do that for work, right? Mm-hmm. Um I'm not sure where I'm going with this, except just to recall and celebrate him and 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 i'm grateful for the life he gave us and and i just have fond memories of him mm. and we all continue to do that yeah
0: mm. the way you're speaking and i'm assuming your father is no longer living oh no yes yes he oh. died when i was 15.
1: okay yeah okay he died when i was 15. <laughs> he was away in zaire which is now called the democratic republic of congo he was young he was just 50 yeah, 40 something, 50. And he had a heart attack. You know, I think it was a heart attack. Why I say I think so is because he he never presented with any issue like that. Right? Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden he holds his chest and he just, he drives himself, instead of the usual thing of being driven, he drives himself to the hospital and dies on the table of the doctor. So it was very, very tough for us as a family and mm-hmm. changed our lives forever, yeah.
0: Mm. I'm curious about the intergenerational part of your family. Do your children have living grandparents or is there a, is there a family around you? Is is Oh, well, a- yeah,
1: yeah. Well, up till... Uh, <clears throat> so my wife also lost her father when she was young, almost in the same way right? It was one of the things that really brought us together. And our mothers were very hardworking, thriving, powerful women. My mother did everything um, from cooking chicken on the streets, you know, from, she was a diplomat's wife, but then she had to make ends meet when my father died. So she started many small businesses, like frying puff puff is, is what we call it. It's some kind of a Donut without the uh, hole, you know, mm-hmm. without the, mm-hmm. on the streets, uh, some bun thing like that, and taught me how to make chicken barbecue. And so that's how we put ourselves through school. I, I would mm-hmm. cut chicken on the streets and push wheelbarrows from local government to local government, de- delivering chairs and tables to people who were doing parties. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I did that to, to help my family feed, which was difficult to eat. Uh, and then my wife's mother did the same thing. You know, she she lost her husband early. She was an Indian woman. My wife is half Indian, half Nigerian. Hmm. Um, so she was an Indian woman living partly with her family in this strange culture, which she quickly rose in the ranks of uh, because she was very adaptive and very intelligent and very street wise. And so she often called herself a Nigerian woman, even though she was very Indian. Indian, she's Indian, um, uh, Iranian and English. So my wife is multiracial. And then her husband died and she had to do a lot of work. Um, Up until 2022, we had my mother in love with us. She passed away last year due to the pandemic, um, mm-hmm. the virus. And my mother is in Lagos, Nigeria, just came back from Nigeria after having some time with her. Um, but we do have family. Um, it's impossible not to have, it's almost impossible, or at least difficult not to be surrounded in a place like this. Uh, mm-hmm. The nuclear is hard to sustain. The mm-hmm. nuclear family is hard to sustain in in these contexts,
0: yes. Yeah. Yeah. I was curious about that. I, um, so here in very cold rural Maine, uh, the nuclear family is, is pretty much what there is, right? We have family across the country. We have friends across the country, but you know, my community here, I think what we're really, uh, wrestling with is, is our isolation in our little units. Right. And yeah, um, you know what i what I really wanted to bring to you to talk about today more than anything is just this kind of consistent um it's not an obsession but just i am I am spending a lot of time writing and thinking and talking about uh parenthood and fatherhood in this yeah. moment in this moment yeah. right I mean yeah. like what you said last night right there's a flood in Chennai where you're at. Yeah. Um, yeah. and I don't want to, I'm not, I don't mean to dramatize it or make a story out of it. That's not accurate, but you know, as, as things seemingly fall apart or as, as things are changing very rapidly, you know, another part of my work is I, um, I consult with a lot of teams that are in technology and AI and, and, uh, yeah. kind of on the edge of that stuff. So that's in mind and, you know, I pay a lot of, uh, my work has always been in, um, uh, you know, running men's groups and just connecting people, right? So, so I spend yeah, my life, yeah. I spend my time really listening. That's what I do. Yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. And uh, thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, it's an honor, I guess. But, but what I, I'm not gonna phrase this the best. I guess it's a concern, or it's just, it's just this moment as a parent, like I, I am doing my best to take in the world and that small world around me, the bigger world at some level, and then center my children in front of this and, and just be like, okay, you know, what, what does life look like for a family in in the 2020s and the 2030s? And, um, I, you know, I sometimes, I, I think maybe I'm just on a path to slightly more radicalization. I don't, I don't, I don't know anymore, right? I just, I don't know what's going on. And uh, you know, I'm just aware of a lot of parents and, and dads in this moment. Um, yeah, just sort of being like, okay, here we are, you know, here, here we are. And what's the what's in front of us is yeah. um, it's both simple and seemingly confounding to me. So I don't know, you know, a post-apocalyptic or apocalyptic moment with our little ones uh, around us. Yes. Um, am yes. I exaggerating? Do you think I'm exaggerating? Oh, no. Just, no. Not yeah. at
1: all. I don't think there is. Exa- well, even if it's exaggerated, I think every good story needs exaggeration. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's, so, so, but, but here's how I think about this. Um, it it reminds me of a concept that emerged in my conversations with my wife, um, a concept called transparenting It kind of bubbled to the surface in the midst of our explorations of what parenting is doing in a time that is marked by AI and Netflix and social algorithms and floods and chemical warfare and genocide. And, you know, like, how do you think about parenting in on, how do you think about parenting in a nuclear age in, in, and I know the nuclear ages and the way people think about this, but I think about the human as a nuclear kind of coloniality yeah. um, that is beginning to shrink on itself because it can no longer resource its buoyancy. So um transparent, we call it transparenting. And we started out our analysis from our shared mutual Christian heritage. Mm-hmm. She identifies as Christian. I no longer identify as Christian, but but. We know our stuff. And there's a part in the Bible where she uh, where it, it said, you know, teach a child um the way to go and the child will not depart from it. Something like if you show the child the way, the child will not depart from it. It's like Corinthian one oh one. Like sure. this is the way to go. Okay. If you do this, then you're set for life. And I, I don't know any any example of how that is true. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I I haven't found one example where a parent says, see, I've successfully parented my like there hasn't been oh, um, it could be that I'm exaggerating, it could be that a verse was gesturing to, towards something else. But even the idea of spare the rod, spoil the child. If you spared the child a the rod, then you would have spoiled the child. There's so we so we wanted to disrupt and interrupt the idea of linear parenting. Yeah. First, call into question the idea that we are parents and our children are the ones parented. Mm-hmm. We she she brought me to the concept of microchimerism. So she's a biologist mm. and she started to speak about. Have you heard about this concept? I know the term. I no, I, I don't know much. My, yeah. <laughs> microchimerism yeah. describes it disrupts linearity at some molecular level in the mm-hmm. in the womb. The child not only contribute is not only the recipient of cells contributed to it by the mother, it contributes its own body to the mother. It leaves traces yeah. of itself. Yeah. In the mother's body, sometimes in the brain. And yeah. then when that child exits the body, the other child that comes participates in the cellular festivities of the previous <laughs> child. <laughs> the cellular festivities of the of the previous of the previous child. So that in a sense, the child mothers the mother that mothers it. Right? Right? Yeah. And it and it also mothers the sibling. And hence the term chimerism, because chim- of course, chimerism is the chimera, the monster. So uh, parenting is monstrous. It's like a, a sharing of bodies. We only perform the linearity of parenting within certain kind of cultural, social materialities and cultures, right? It's it, It's not self-evident that we are parents is that we, and and she got to this because she started to learn a lot from our autistic son, Mm -hmm. right? Like And our daughter as well. Like there was a way in which she was meeting the world differently because of her interactions with them. And so who's the parent here is what she would ask. So I, I like to think of transparenting, not just as a calling into question of the linearity of parenting, but also on noticing that it's not even a human thing or an animal thing to parent. Mm -hmm. There's a sense in which context and architecture and cities and technologies are parenting. That Netflix is now a very, very hardworking parent (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it is
0: Yeah, very successful one.
1: Yeah. Very successful one. It yeah. will keep that child. Well, it depends on what you mean by success here, brother, but, but, yeah. but that we are all participating in ecologies of parenting, hence mm. the term transparenting. It, it moves, it's a network, right? And it will manufacture bodies and the child in particular ways, as well as the so-called parent. And, and, and I think it's something very powerful to
0: consider. Hmm. Yeah, I'm following. Do you send your kids to school? Do they have a community of learning? Do they? Oh,
1: so so we started out <laughs> with unschooling, and our critique of school as university uh, mm-hmm. lecturers. We left. She in the same university I was in. We left the university because we felt learning has to take on a different form. It cannot be this disciplinar this this disciplinarity that we're used to. It has to it has to become different, and it has to be different. Um, we don't think method and methodology, or disciplinarity, is access to knowledge. We think it's an incarceration of the knower and the known, right? It's um. So mm-hmm. so we started to explore unschooling, but we 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 decided not to be so binary about it. We, yeah. we, we didn't want to be like, so that's the evil side there and this is the good side because that would be thinking about yeah. school even as a monolith. The world right. is more complex than monoliths. So we we told our daughter that she was free to roam to roam through these worlds. So if she wants to try that out, she can try it out. But she would have to take on those values a little bit because you know you're not just an observer. You know, if they yeah. grade, you have to dance with grades, but always know that you have an exit ramp. Mm. We won't require you to have to graduate. You know, you can go in. Mm. And so only last year, she signed up for an online project
0: school. Yeah. Okay,
1: um, yeah. And prior to this, she was already writing essays writing books, writing stories, coloring, singing, you know, it wasn't a question of what I want to do when I grow up. It, it was always a matter of what I would like to do now. Right. It's, you know, our paradigms are different. So Alethea is presently participating in a schooling project. And my son refuses the idea of disciplinarity.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. He finds it irritating and toxic. He yeah. will not abide you trying to teach him. He literally said to us recently, "I know I have what I need to know."
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> he's six. Yeah, he's six, <laughs> and he's like, "Yeah, I I don't need." And he basically, mm-hmm. against all the cultural modes of my existence, he's like, "I don't want to grow up. I want to stay tiny." You mm. know, he's like a Peter Pan
0: fugitive. <laughs> <at some point. laughs> Has he watched Peter? I was curious. Do do you he hasn't? He, he hasn't. hasn't. No. He hasn't. He just okay. doesn't
1: want to, you know, doesn't want to be poached. He's like, I'll do it myself. Yeah. No. But he doesn't want, he just started to speak, you know, really recently, at least when he was turned five. He really started to uh, dish out the sentences in a way that we can understand. But he's basically he constantly tries to tell us. That I don't want to be. It's like he's doing a different kind of role, playing a different kind of role. Like, uh, like a, someone called calls autism an immune response to totalitarian control, and he doesn't want to be part of the culture. He doesn't yeah. want to be polite. He doesn't want to be. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: Um, two very unrelated questions, but I'm gonna ask them together just for fun. So. <laughs> So do your, do your kids watch Netflix and more importantly. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely.
1: Why do you think I brought up Netflix? Thank you, Netflix. Well, and also please Netflix, it's getting too much, right? We are imbricated in all of these systems. There's no, there's no, um, because, you know, we often tell people about unschooling and they, they, they imagine it to be some magical um friction free place, mm. right It's just but it can get really shitty sometimes, mm. right because we have to we have to we we can do things that maybe other families can do um, and we can do things that other families cannot do um but but it's um it has it has been difficult sometimes. Most times, you know, also enchanting, but difficult to to parent two wild kids, two unwieldy kids yeah. who who don't um, subscribe to the the down the downbeats, the the marks, the tarmac uh, of. Um, <laughs> yeah cultural yeah. responses that we're used to they they are my daughter is would not be considered autistic, but she's quite atypical in the ways that she shows up in the world um yeah so so netflix often comes to the rescue when my wife and i just want to collapse And it is part of the tension of living in the modern, in the city. Yes, there isn't purity here at all. Mm. I reject
0: purity or any semblance of purity. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Speaking of Netflix, we were watching some yesterday. And Do you know The Grinch? Do you know this, the Christmas story, The Grinch? Oh,
1: my goodness. Do I know The Grinch? My son literally adopted The Grinch. He enforced The Grinch in our household, wanted everyone to dress like The Grinch, would put stuff on our faces like you're The Grinchy. Yes. Do I know The Grinch? He's my child. The Grinch is my
0: son. <laughs> So the image, you know, the, the one of the things I like about that story so much is the the moment where they show his tiny heart, right? The Grinch has a tiny heart, two sizes too small. His heart is, and then yeah. he has this moment of humanity, and his and his heart grows, right? Uh, that is a metaphor that I use when I speak to people about about the process of becoming a father. You know, I think one right. of the things that that's pretty viscerally true is is just that it's. Um, I mean, obviously, depending on cultural context and where you grew up, but the in my bubble, the ability to really give and receive love fully is is sort of like the core of my work is is supporting men to 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 find that the channels and the avenues and the courage to fully give and receive love in, in all of the ways. And yeah, yeah. Um, i'm just curious did your heart did your heart expand when when you became a father like what was there any transformation that occurred i
1: think so i think so i wrote about this in my book but beyond the writing in books um uh yes it it was um something about holding my my daughter for the first time just helped me realize that i really wanted to live a different life mm. that i wanted my life to be small and intense and profoundly intimate mm. and this is a cut away from the previous bio who wanted to be the next mandela who mm. wanted you know to to um i mean a little bit of the ambitious is still there but it doesn't look like it doesn't have the same quality and texture that it once did. Right. Um, I try to, I try to put my family even in when when I'm presenting my bios, right? Um, when people invite me to speak, for instance, you know, they look at my they they kind of want to read my my long ass bio and then they then they start with buy the father <laughs> uh, bio the becoming father because that's how I want them to start right Not by has a PhD or "Buyer has or or that Buyer just recently received the key to the city of Portland in Maine <laughs> no but but that the father is the fa- is, is father to Alethea and Kea and and that's different quality to, so yes, they they gifted me with a sense of my insignificance, mm-hmm. a beautiful, playful insignificance, not insignificance as a pathological inadequacy, but insignificance as how everything comes to matter, how everything mm-hmm. breeds and size, and how I'm part of something larger. They gifted me with that. My most profound teacher at the moment is my son. My son is my greatest challenge. If I were Frodo Baggins, my son would be the ring of power. And I'm just wow. speaking Tolkien.
0: Wow. <laughs> Stay a little more. Wow. That's, yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, it's, it, that's
1: with Frodo it, and the ring, the, the ring was, um, I've not really, that's the first time I'm ever seen that. i have never, so I, I did not give yeah, that yeah. thought at all, but it yeah, seemed to have yeah, come yeah. from a place of, well, with Frodo, the, the ring of power was an unbearable burden, Yeah. right? It was uh, something that could not be held and needed yeah. a fellowship to hold it, but mm-hmm. eventually came to be his burden. And it was unbearable as much as it was absolutely necessary. Yeah. Right. Um, he would put on the ring, the ring was taunting and tempting and constantly pushing on Frodo's edges. And yet he knew that the ring of power was the only thing that um that was his vocation, his most mm. his, his greatest livelihood. Um and, and my son appears to me to be that way um it's that many times i have my head in my my hands and i'm and i'm i'm asking myself why me why did this have, have <clears throat> to happen to us um and at other times it feels yeah why not us this is an incredible altar. This is an incredible, unspeakable gift, and not a, not a gift in the entrepreneurial sense of a gift that is immediately put to use. I'm speaking about. I'm I'm speaking about the ways that usefulness can become pathological. Do you, do you mm-hmm. understand what I mean? I like yeah. like when you're when you're part of a factory, if you're if if you you were born a cog. You know or a knot on a wheel and you're every day you're part of a machine i think the most liberating thing would be a glitch Mm. right Mm -hmm. (laughs) would be and then all the machinery (laughs) all the aspects and little bolts and needles and and threads would all would suddenly be alive and be like what just happened it's like they would suddenly be in touch with themselves because there's a spoke in the wheel or there's a glitch in the program. And my son seems to be like that discontinuity that troubles the machinery of the everyday.
0: Mm-hmm. So do you have the fellowship that you need? Like Frodo? Frodo got his oh, crew together. Oh, do you have yeah, a crew? Yeah,
1: yeah, it takes a fellowship to hold this ring. Yeah. It will take a fellow. I'm just recovering. I'm just realizing how beautifully how beautifully uh, appropriate this metaphor this figure of the this tolkien metaphor of the ring uh, holds true with the idea of uh community with autism accompanying of and and an act of radical accompaniment yes we mm. we have we we have a roaming a roaming fellowship um sometimes we feel alone but the nuclear doesn't last that long. No. Um, and right now my wife is just in a room um, outside my little office space here. And upstairs is my daughter and my son being tended to by family. So mm-hmm. it it feels, um,
0: yeah, it feels most of the time, gratefully so, that we're not alone. Yeah, yeah. I spend a lot of time, more than i like to admit, Wondering if things are supposed to be as hard as they are. <laughs> mm. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. so I've been my my wife and I've been married nine nine years, almost ten years now, and so we've been parents for seven, right? And uh, we have, you know, we're, we're we're we have things pretty damn good, and God damn it, it is hard. Like it, it, <laughs> it, it just seems to go to the edge all the time right pushes pushes us yeah. just to the edge and yeah, yeah. i always yeah. wish i had if i had a i would love a time machine if i could go back and check in generationally or you know different places in the world and just like get a sense like i wish we could get a kind of sense like you know this is this is how it feels, right? This is how it feels to be a dad in, you know, pre-World War One in blank. Here's what it would feel like to be a parent, and you know? I mean, I don't know. I think that's just yeah. trying to evade the moment, <laughs> right? But, but I'm just curious about it all.
1: You know, I just had a conversation before this one, and a question came about um, if I'd had a time machine, Just like you said now, um, what would you say to your previous selves? Maybe when you're 15, when you lost your dad, or when you're 18 and you downloaded a 1,000-page um, book of systematic theology by Charles Finney, an 18th century preacher, you know, and when you were a nerd, a complete nerd, you know, at 12 and trying to figure the entire world out, you know, what would you say to yourselves? And I really took the question and held it with some precious silence. And I said, eventually that I, I don't think I would say anything. Um, I would probably just sit alongside, um, those many selves i wouldn't even say it's going to be okay i wouldn't because something i wouldn't say it's going to be okay to my grieving 15 year old body um maybe because the generosity of grief might be vanquished if i were to punctuate it with it's going to be okay i'm not saying no one said it's going to be okay but if i were to see my future self if my 15 year old body were to see my 40 year old body saying it's gonna be okay. I don't know what that would do to yeah. the vital lessons that are secreted only in the midst of pain, mm-hmm. right? So I probably will say nothing. I probably would just sit with myself and just in an act of radical accompaniment and sitting with the trouble, I'll sit with myself. That's what I said to that person just a few hours ago. I wanna modify that a bit. Maybe I will leave a trace, a trace of some kind, not a trace that can be easily discerned, not a message. A message is not a trace. A message is clear, right? It's a letter from me to me. I'm not going to do that, but I'll leave a trace, incommensurable, um, non-legible, non-reducible to any lexicon I could use at that time, something cryptic. Maybe just a sigh or a whisper or a gasp. And that would be an act of radical hospitality to the moment, but also not invasive enough to cut away all the lessons I need to learn mm. in order to be my 40-year-old body.
0: Yeah. yeah. As you're saying that as you're saying that I'm imagining in 30 years, maybe I'll have a podcast on grandfathering and maybe I'll call you and will <laughs> talk about that phase. I'm curious if you ever, I wonder if you ever think about that, about that, you being that generation. And then also I'm curious about your sense of our responsibility to, to the future generations, right? Do you, do you spend time considering that?
1: Uh, Yeah, I do. I mean, I think about, I joke all the time about to my kids about when I'm 80 or 90 and I do this old man bio and then they laugh. Um, which is, which is, I'm happy that I can still make them laugh. Um, and, uh, well, in, in terms of our responsibility, I think it's, it's, it's really vital, maybe more than vital, it's sacred that we play. Hmm. I think as stability dissipates and is distressed and the psyche is roaming and a spillage occurs, I think it's really vital that we adopt experimental explorations in the spirit of play, right? The child has to mean something more than its usefulness within adultist paradigms. It has to, the child has to be more than just the thing that becomes the adult. The thing that becomes us because the very idea of us is being challenged now right so children children and fathering and parenting have a sacred task to experiment with the tentative with the yet to come with other big ways of being alive in the world not in a bid to arrive at utopia but as play is not utopian, play is messy. I think we need to dig our hands into the soil and get messy too. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how time is constructed or s- produced. That's how realities are sown, And I think that's beautiful politics
0: for our time. Mm. I, I just, uh, I haven't thought about it this way and this might not be a great analogy, but our little ones are a bit like stem cells. They haven't haven't really, (laughs) they haven't really fully taken a lane yet, you know, assumed a responsibility. Um, Do you, Mm. another sort of time marker that I'd like to use is, you know, picture your daughter or your son roughly at 40, right? I'm about 40. It sounds like you're about 40. I'm 42. Um, Yeah. Just turn 42. Yeah. So the, what year is that? That would be 30 years from now. 2050, mm-hmm. 2053, 2053. Mm. Any images come to mind? What what this wild thing looks like when our children are adults?
1: So, here we go. I'm a sci-fi guy. I'm a <laughs> though sci-fi doesn't necessarily mean flying cars and AI assistance. Um, anything that Brackets the present and helps us notice the threads with which the everyday is produced and stitched together. Is sci-fi for me. It doesn't have to be gleaming swords and and uh, gestures like this. This is. It's not just the, the world is. It. So twenty fifty three. I I I really don't know how to do that kind of. Thought experiment i find myself very shy about mm-hmm. landing <laughs> landing mm-hmm. in like if i really had a time machine in the popular imaginations of time travel um i probably will not land anywhere yeah. i don't know why i might go back a million years in time but i probably won't land i would sail over <laughs> and I don't know why. I'm sorry. I can't. I can't really no, I, parse. I appreciate that. I would I probably that. just glide over, and uh, I don't know. I wouldn't want to fully belong to any one time, and and I'm and I might find that I that even now I don't belong to my own timeline. Mm. It feels we don't fully belong in that way. We're not fully owned by by our times oh, that's a very beautiful sentiment to think of we're not fully owned by our own by our times okay mm-hmm. something i'll write about later <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. yeah well what 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 came out to me there was just the feeling of uh you know as you said in the beginning as we chatted the stepping out of the linearity of parenting right the the, the parenting 101 do this and then i just i just think back to my childhood, my parents had a sense of what life looked like and what was going to happen and what I needed to do to fit, you know, and, and, um, you know, I think it's, it's a almost nonsensical question to me right now. It's like, what do we prepare our children for? Right? Like what, what, you know, what do we do? And I'm sure for many parents, they still have an answer. Uh, I've lost sense of an answer. And so I think the only answer left is sort of anything or everything right what do you you prepare your kids for the the possibility Mm. of anything and i'm so Mm. that's that's kind of where i've landed in terms of well let's look at that (laughs) what is it what is the the idea of unconditional confidence right and sort of the Vajrayana buddhist path which which i study i'm a part of is is just this sort Mm. of willingness this ability this willingness to i like your term radical um Shit, of, yeah, radical accompaniment yeah. that, that fe- feels in the same, the same. Mm-hmm. Just the will, just the willingness to be, right? The willingness yeah. to to experience um, yeah. whatever it is.
1: Well, in in my book, which is a a series of letters to my daughter, I I I was I I didn't have this term then, but I performed it as radical accompaniment mm-hmm. to those who have read to the end of the book. I was. I was narrating the book from death, right? You need to get to the end of the book to realize that I've been dead all this time. Speaking to my daughter, and my daughter has been reading through your eyes, the letters, through the reader's eyes. Um, and my daughter at the end of the book is about to bury me, um, but not it's not a burial. It's, I've been cremated with my wife and she's about to spread our ashes into the ocean. And I'm encouraging her to remember us. Um, and i imagine she rushes back to whatever speaking of 2053 and or 2073 or whatever t- <laughs> 2103 i'm 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 encouraging her to return to a community mm-hmm. and i'm asking i'm asking questions that like, what does it look like what does it look like in that time so i only have those questions i don't want to alight neatly and say 2053 will have apple 36 or something or oh, an iPad 85, you know, <laughs> um, I don't even know where iPad is or iPod. Is it whatever it's called? But but I'm I'm more like, tell me about, I'm curious about stuff. And I end the book with a warning, but it doesn't feel foreboding. It feels very warm, I hope. Um, because I started the book with that way, you know, telling the, about the death of my dad I I say the words, which also close the book. I say, we will haunt you. I will haunt you. I'm cool like that. <laughs> and that's how I end the book, you know? Um, and, and, and so, uh, yeah, I'm not even sure where I was going with this, but, but yeah, it's, yeah, I guess that's all I'll say.
0: Yeah. Yeah. All right. So to in, in some, to wrap up here, uh, we started with breakfast how about we finish with one moment of play recently like get, like bring us into a moment of of play with your children where you exercise that that direction or that imperative you
1: know our play is very very um chaotic <laughs> the, the, when you talk about a moment of play i like the way that sounds that it it feels very very distant And the way it feels in my body is distant and unattainable. Um, Because Mm -hmm. it, it kind of suggests a moment, you know, delineated or rather separate from other moments where I've successfully demarcated or rather drawn the lines around this activity that we rudely call play and say we're going to play now. Our play feels like interruption like we're tumbling into moments right okay. so 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 when we we often roll we just roll and my son screams <laughs> and my daughter and then we just roll into each other and I just say, it's enough. I have to go now. And, and, then, like, mm-hmm. and then and are like, and then that's it. And then we kind of tumble into each other again or he rushes into the room while I'm having an interview and I'm like, I'm so sorry. I just need to attend to my son. And he's like, you know, he, I he, do the Santa or something like that. And I'm like, okay, I'm not now. I mean, this is how clean It's like, it's like, it's like bodies tumble into bodies. It's It doesn't feel like all right, kids, let's go play! <laughs> Yay!
0: <laughs>
1: Thirty minutes later, you know, and there, it, <laughs> it feels more like
0: you know, yeah. Well, thank you for <laughs> thank you thank you for sharing. I really, I really mean it. You know, I I um I I very much admire and appreciate your words and your and your and your thought patterns and how you express yourself and to just talk a little bit more about the the simple parts of being a father was was my hope and I really appreciate you going there. I find it I find it delightful.
1: So, I'm grateful, father. Thank you. Yeah, I'm thank really you. grateful for that.
0: Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah. Thank, thank you for you. being here, bio. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Take care. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sticking through if you're still here. Um would be very, very supported if you shared this podcast with any other dads or moms or anyone. And would be supported if you gave us a review, or just, uh, or just came back. Right? We're gonna, we have some other great guests coming up, and uh, just want to end with a note of gratitude and appreciation.